Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Because as soon as the child has any kind of self-agency and spine, the ability to think for themselves, the ability to lock their door, you know, metaphorically and literally, they start doing it. And they enter into this independent phase and they push back often quite severely against their parents. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, we established that supervision is when people don't take things as far as they can without a manager following up or offering assistance, reminding them, etc. It is the act of making sure someone does what they already know to do. Management, on the other hand, is when someone takes something as far as they can, then a manager supports them to grow and learn. But that's just the content of the manager-employee relationship, as well as the parent-child relationship, which is when most of us first encounter and learn supervision. So today I'm gonna set up the context of this relationship dynamic through the lens of something we can probably all relate to, not wanting to do our laundry when we're children. This series is an excerpt from a live course I taught called The Art of Self-Management that's now available as an online course. It's free for Clear and Open members. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. I'm the youngest, so it's probably the freshest in my mind, but we all grew up and our parents are always trying to teach us stuff. And like, you know, 90% of it, you're like, my parents are crazy. Like, what are they? They they really believe this? Like, they don't know how the world works. And then you get older and you start to actually experience these struggles and stuff like that. And then you're like, you know, slowly but surely you're like, you know what? Mom was right about that. Dad was right about that. Um, I think same thing with, with, you know, employees that you're managing and stuff like that. It's so I've, um, anytime that you do want to help your team members grow and stuff, it's much easier to help them see something, even if it's oftentimes them seeing it themselves when there has been that struggle and that pain and it's real. And then oftentimes you just talk to them a little bit and they're able to see, see themselves because you've heard a lot of this stuff too, but until you actually experience it, it's, it doesn't really stick. So well said and a perfect setup for uh, a story I wanted to tell and, and what I want to talk about, because what we're talking about here is not the content of the interaction per se, but the context of the relationship and how it's set up. So the way we were taught in school was this very, uh, I think the word is didactic, this very um, uh, teacher-like, I'm talking from this place of expertise and I'm telling you information that you need to know. We all went through 15 plus years of school like that with very little justification for how this is actually going to be relevant to you ever. Certainly very little justification for how this is going to be useful for your life right now, because that almost never applies. You know, what 
13-year-old really needs to do single variable algebra to get through their day. You know, outside the school context, that's not useful to them. That's not gonna help them on the playground. That's not gonna help them make friends. It's completely irrelevant. So the sale has to be a longer term thing. And even that's hard. But even before school, the way for most in most families, the way it's set up is the parents are the ultimate authorities and the experts and they know everything. And they're bestowing information upon you that you need to know. And this is the way you're going to live when you're under my roof. And as Willie was just speaking to, how well does that go? Well, you find out at around age 13 how well that went. Because as soon as the child has any kind of self-agency in spine, the ability to think for themselves, the ability to lock their door, you know, metaphorically and literally, uh, they start doing it. And they enter into this independent phase and they push back often quite um, severely against their parents. Now, speaking of interesting frames, this is seen as a normal uh, teenage uh, behavior, right? That's just how it is. It's a phase. What if it's not? What if it's actually an artifact of a parent of parents abusing their power from the time the kid was born and even before? Yes. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> 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 Certainly, it's a mix, right? But consider for a moment that in a, in in a, a healthy family, which may be theoretical because there may be no such thing, but theor- a theoretically very healthy family is one where a teenager starts to say things like, "You know, you know, I'm a 13 year old. You know, Dad, Mom, you've been saying X to me for the last you know seven, eight years, and I appreciate that." You know, that's how you've lived your life. And um, I've tried it out and it's just not really fitting for me. So uh, I'm going to try something else. And I so appreciate the help you've been giving me, but um, just doesn't make sense for me. So I was raised by, by what I would call very lazy Jews. My, my parents um, were extremely reformed Jews. And uh, when I really didn't want to have a bar mitzvah when I was you know, 12 or whatever, and all that's getting set up, I really didn't want to do it. I thought Hebrew school was absurd, even though I'd been going to it, I don't know, since I was, I don't know, eight or nine. I guess it's all prep for the bar, bar or bar mitzvah, right? You know, you learn to read Hebrew in a basic way. You learn how to read it, but you don't actually learn, well, for most people, you don't actually learn what you're reading. You just learn how to pronounce the letters which doesn't really make any sense to me. And it was kind of cool in one way. I mean, these ancient, ancient letters, but um, you, know, you, you see the translations, but you can't match the two up except for you know, a couple dozen words maybe by the time you're done. So the whole thing kind of looked like a sham to me. I'm not really learning how to read Hebrew here. right? And, and I could tell there was just something kind of unrigorous about it. And I told my parents I didn't want to have bar, a bar mitzvah. And their answer was to me, uh, my mother specifically, she said, you have to have a bar mitzvah, otherwise my mother will be really upset. In other words, my grandmother. Not a really compelling reason for me. And so as a result of that uncompelling reason, the day after my bar mitzvah, uh, and I performed it quite well, and I use the word perform intentionally, I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm never going to temple again. I'm not missing school anymore because I hate missing school and being behind and not knowing what's going on. Uh, I'm done. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. But what was possible there, 
And now that could have been certainly way worse, right? It could have been a big argument and all that. But I fulfilled the requirement passed down to me from my mother's mother, whether that was real or not, I don't know. The more mature thing that could have happened would have been a real in-depth conversation about the nature of life, the nature of God, the importance of tradition or not, the importance of community. You know, a, a, a real discussion would have revealed that I found out, you know, about 15 years later that actually my parents didn't believe in God at all, which was what I was feeling the entire time. And which is, which is what created my disdain for the whole thing largely because I could feel there was this kind of dissonance because one of my soul gifts is I can feel when there's a difference between the front of people, what they present and the back of people, which is what, what's actually going on, which is why I can do what I do so well. And I felt that in them, but I didn't know I felt that in them and it made me hate them because that's that dissonance was just like, ah, something is false here. And I didn't know what it was. So mostly I just blame myself for it because that's what kids do. And 15, 20 years of therapy later, I'm uh, finally digging out of that, not hating myself so much, not being so hard on myself, all that. But what in what could have happened in a healthy family, I've been like, okay, you don't want to have a bar mitzvah. Let's talk about why not. They never asked me why not. They just told me you have to. Because someone related to me, you know, because the, my mother's making me make you what? Well, why don't you want to? Why don't you want to go to temple anymore? What, how do you see reality? What are your thoughts about God? Things my parents never asked me to this day. To this day. Now, to me, this reeks of dysfunction. And yet we say, you know, a parent who is so uncurious about their child who makes a stand at 12 and says, I'm not doing this, doesn't even have the curiosity to say, oh, how interesting. Appreciate you standing for what you want. Let's talk about it. How hard is that? Apparently too hard. Did they do the best that they could? Did they do better than their parents? Absolutely. I've met their parents. They did way better. Okay, so there's an and there. I've won the lottery compared to what my mother, my mother's mother, she was, she was seriously mentally ill. Uh, so my, my mother is lucky to survive. So they improve. Okay. You know, there's compassion and all that. But if we look at the, that whole experience through the lens of it could have been way, way, way better. It informs a lot about management because when we get into management roles, the default mode of managing people is going to have a lot to do with the way you were raised. Here's another story that I want to tell about this, some somewhat less uh, charged. So, from of course, you know, my mother did the laundry in the house. Uh, that that was that generation, and um, and uh, I think she probably put my clothes away for me until I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. The system became that the folded laundry, folded clean laundry would be put on my bed and it was my responsibility to put it away. And for some reason, actually, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about what that reason was because I've told the story a few times and I always say, for some reason, I hated putting it away. And then I was thinking as I was taking a shower this morning, why did I hate putting it away? And what came to me was that I had this um, sort of related to the other story. I had this 
angst about the way the world was organized because I could feel there was something wrong in just about every domain of life. And so I think for me that the, I hated, for example, the way you were supposed to fold the socks together. I couldn't do it at first, but I also didn't like it. I'm not very good with spatial relations and never was. So that thing where you folded the socks together so that they stayed together, I didn't do that. I used to literally tie my socks in in half hitches to to put them away, just tied them together because I hated the order. There was something about the order of folded laundry that to me was like this existential symbol of of the false order of the world. But it doesn't matter. I didn't want to do it. And my mother would remind me and remind me again. And so it would be like days, three, four, five days where the be laundry sitting on one of my, you know, sitting like just a few feet from where it was supposed to go, but just sitting right on, uh, you know, a desk or whatever. And she'd say, Hey, put your laundry away. Don't forget to put your laundry away. And, and then of course I started to hate her for nagging me about it because that's what happens when people remind you about something again and again and again. We have a word for that. It's called nagging. And this happens every day in most businesses around the world. But it's called management. Hey, just a friendly reminder, don't forget that thing that I told you about yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And because in most environments, uh, in the professional environment, on the outside, that employee is going to say, okay, yeah, thanks for the reminder. But on the inside, there's a resentment. Because that manager, quote unquote, that supervisor, I would say, has just triggered the way probably one of their parents nagged them about something. And so what would management have looked like rather than this laundry nagging supervision thing? And supervision, the way I define it, uh, I love the, the simplicity of the Latin there, supervision oversee. I mean, vision's right in the overseeing is looking over the shoulder. Supervision I define as making sure somebody does what they already know how to do. That they know what to do, know how to do it, know when to do it. That's supervision. It's babysitting. right? And necessary at certain phases of human development, even in someone early in a job or someone in a job who has a new responsibility. Supervision is a necessary stage. The problem is when supervision continues. It it, it turns into resentment. And it's a tremendous waste of resources. I mean, think about the amount of time and emotional energy. It went on for years. I, I, don't, I mean, I can count probably on a couple of hands the times where I saw the folded laundry as an early teen and in that very moment put it away. That was almost never the case. I procrastinated. I, hate some, I just... Something about it. You know, I still don't really like it. I mean, I, I don't enjoy it. Some people enjoy laundry. I really don't like it. It's small. If you haven't noticed, I like thinking about big things, right? It's really small. So it's rare that I can really get excited about something that small and detail-oriented. So it just was never really my strong suit. So what would management have looked like in that case? Well, I'll give you a hint. It would involve accountability. And here's how I imagine it could have gone at the age of you know me being 13 or so. I imagine my mother saying, so Joseph, have a seat. Let's have a conversation. So have you noticed I've been doing this reminder thing a lot about the putting the clothes away? Yeah, I would say. It's annoying, right? And I would probably raise my eyebrow. 
She's like, you can admit it. I know it's annoying you. I can see it on your face every time I remind you. Yeah, it is annoying, I would say. Yeah, you know what? I don't like it either. So the system right now is I put the laundry on your bed. You move it somewhere else, but don't actually put it away. And that annoys me because I'm putting effort in doing your laundry. And that I, I know you don't know much about that, but it takes a certain amount of effort and responsibility. And you know, I'm delivering it up to your room. I could leave it down at the washing machine. You know, I'm doing stuff for you. And so it seems like only a small thing to ask you to take the last 10% and do the work. So I'm reminding you, and that annoys me, and it annoys you too. And I don't want to annoy you. So what are we going to do about this? And at 13, I probably would have said, I don't know. (laughs) That's probably what I would have said. That's the kind of kid I was. And she would say, yeah, I thought you might say that because that's how my mother is. And she'd say, she could have said, so I have an idea. How about this? The new standard is when I put the laundry delivered to your room, you've got 24 hours to put it away. And if you don't, then I train you how to do your own laundry. How about that? And I would have been like, uh, I guess that's okay. Good. Then we're agreed. And this, again, reminder, this only has... I'm not going to remind you anymore. I'm just going to put the laundry there and I'm going to start a clock. And the moment, one time it goes past 24 hours, then the next phase is, I, I won't be doing your laundry. I'll train you how to do your laundry. And you, of course, you don't have to do your own laundry. You can go to school with dirty clothes, see how that works. But I will train you how to do laundry. And then you'll be on your own. You're 13. And one day, you're going to grow up. Actually, you know, when you go to college at you know, 18 and a half, 19, there'll be no one to do your laundry for you. So this is actually an opportunity for me to teach you how to do your laundry. I can teach you how to fold it and stuff because it's, you know, it's not necessarily that easy. And there's some sort of ins and outs to learn and all that. And this is going to help you. How's that sound? That would be management. That's a win-win, right? But she never did that. And I would argue one of the reasons for that would be at the other end of the question, so, Mrs. Shapiro, what's good about getting to remind your son about putting putting away the laundry all the time? And her first response would be, nothing, I hate it. And then I would say, well, then why do you keep doing it? Well, because he won't change. Well, what have the consequences been? Well, I just keep reminding them. And how's that working? It's not. Uh-huh. So what do you get out of this? I don't know if she'd ever admit it, but to me, it's plain to see. She gets to be in control. And that is the root of why people supervise. It's a control trip. Because it makes you feel like you're exerting your power on the other person in a way that presents the illusion of you maybe getting the result you one day want. Because you get to feel like, I'm on it. I haven't dropped that ball. They're dropping the ball, but I got it. I'm in control here. And the problem, well, there are many problems with that. One, the exertion of control is exactly what creates the resentment in the other person because it invalidates their independent agency of being, which is only super important as a teenager, right? Because that's where they're growing that. But you're, when you do that with an adult, you treat them like a child. 
And the problem with treating people like children is it tends to elicit childish behavior. So if that had happened with, with my mother, I probably would have missed the deadline because that's how I was then. I don't know. I was also pretty lazy and I really didn't want to do my laundry. So uh, I, I probably would have, I don't know, it could have gone either way. But no matter what, it would have taught me an important lesson that my actions have consequences. And I didn't actually learn what I teach about responsibility. You think I was raised this way? I've met people that were raised with high senses of discipline and responsibility. I didn't learn. I mean, I had discipline as an athlete as a kid. And so in some domains, I knew about practice and all that. But in terms of, um, you know, like chore responsibility and work responsibility, you think nine summers as a lifeguard taught me a work ethic? No, actually not. <laughs> I didn't learn that until my late 20s after I'd been fired twice. And if I had had that kind of uh, maybe more than twice. So my, I had to learn a lot of life lessons because neither of my parents would set boundaries in that way. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.